0: Today we are kicking off, I have the daunting task of kicking off a series. And it's really daunting to me because I want to kick off the series well and I want to set up the future teachers of this series, which I believe are Ryan and Matt and maybe other people. I want to make sure that they're set up to do well. And the series is, I think we have a series slide. Can we put that slide up there? Uh, Type questions here. We're going to talk about typing and where to type them. God's good Design God's Good Design. Now, what does that tell you about this series? God's Good Design. What do you think it's about? Based on the title and based on the picture, what is this about? Is this like promoting gender-neutral bathrooms? What, is this? What, what do you think we're talking about here? God's Good Design. Talk to me. What do you think? Yes. Relationships. It could be about relationships. Okay, what else? Could be about sexuality, right? Anything else come to mind? Anything? Yes. Okay, you, yes. People in general, very good. Identity, okay, yes. Marriage, okay, what else? The roles of men and women. Anything else come to mind? Good, all of these are really, really good answers. Okay, And I think it's something that in some way, shape, or form, I bet that as Ryan and others teach through this series, that they're going to touch on different things. It's not a marriage series. It's not a dating and relationship series per se. But it is one that has to do with gender and gender roles and gender identity. Gender identity. And it's an important topic for us to discuss and a really important topic for us to look at in God's holy word. So let's open up our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Make the right side of your Bible a lot heavier than the left and open up Genesis chapter 1. And here's what I want, you, I want you to see a couple of things as we open up God's Word. Now, we're going to do a series on gender identity and design that God has created us as male and female. And you would, see, you would think that this is kind of an easy thing, like... Yeah, boys are different from girls. Like, this is high school, so hopefully by now you figured that out and you know what makes them different. And we're not going to talk about that because that's super awkward. So you know what boys are different from girls and girls are different from boys. Why talk about these things? Why talk about these things? In fact, before we just look at the text that I want to look at, why even talk about these things? Is this just one of those, like... Obvious series. Let's just talk about something strikingly obvious again because we have nothing else to teach. So let's talk about the fact that boys are different from girls. Why is it important? Think about the world in which we live, the TV shows you watch, the culture around you, the school at which you attend, the books that you read, the movies that go out. And why do we need to talk about the fact that God creates us as male and female? Do you have any thoughts on that at all? Why bother talking about this? Yes, Allie. What's that? Leadership, help me understand what you mean. Okay, so what she said, I'll say this for the sake of the internet, because I think this goes on the internet, right? Hi internet, this goes on the internet. Everyone say hi internet, turn around. Hi, internet. Good. Okay. So what she said is that oftentimes there's basically, she said, sometimes ladies will take on a leading role and sometimes there's confusion as to, and sometimes men will take on a helping role. But then you look at this and you're like, is it really wrong for men to help? Is it really wrong for ladies to lead like in every situation? So there's a lot of gender confusion. There's a lot of confusion out there as to how do we apply God's word when it comes to who we should be as a godly man or a godly woman? How do we apply those things? Why else might we want to talk about this? Any other thoughts? That's a very good answer, Allie. Yes. Okay, we live in a society where uh, same-sex marriage is being promoted more and more. I think Alabama just uh, legalized same-sex marriage, making them the 37th state uh, to legalize same-sex marriage. I believe that's what I saw on the authority of all things true Twitter. Um, Misty Bartolo, Yes. It's not true. Twitter's not the authority of all things. That was, a, that was a joke. Go. Yeah, there's a lot of controversy as to whether someone who is born in one gender has the right or privilege, or is it a good and godly thing for them to say, you know what, I've always wanted to be the opposite gender, So I think I'll start acting that way. I think I'll start dressing that way. I think I might even save up money and have the surgery that way so that I can be who I really believe I am even though people were created, as God created them, one gender. One gender. So there's a lot of crazy stuff going on, and I want to show you how that happens from the Word of God and hopefully kick off this series in a way that would be helpful to you. So take a look at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Now, we're going to skip around to a lot of different texts. We're not just sticking in one text. But I want you to see something in Genesis chapter 1. See, the whole issue when it comes to gender, uh, should, sometimes people think this should be fairly simple. This should be fairly easy. It, we're, just, you know, it, it, we're just different genders. I mean, there's male and there's female. So here's what I want you to look at. I want you to look at Genesis chapter 1 and take a look at verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Okay? How did God describe the light? He used an adjective that I read. It was in uh, verse 4. How did he describe the light? He said the light was? Again, the light was? Very good. That's right. The light was good. Okay, now skip down to... Uh, we'll just keep reading verse 6. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was... Good, right. Verse 11, let the earth sprout vegetation, God said, plants yielding f- seed and fruits, trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed each according to its own kind. And it was so. And then in the end of verse 12, God saw that it was good. Are you seeing a pattern? Can, who can tell that I'm trying to emphasize a certain word? That word is good, right, okay. You can keep going through the creation account and you can see that as God creates all that he creates, each time he says it is good. Good. And then at the end of the account of creation, he looks back on everything that he created. Look at verse uh, 25. God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And then in verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let me just pause. Why does God say our? Why would God look and say our? Is he just, is that a typo? Does he think he's like more is it a, you know, why is it schizo? Like why, why would God say, let us, let us make man in our image instead of saying, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna make man in my image. What do you think? It's the what? Okay. It's the Trinity, which we don't fully understand, but we know that God manifests himself as three equal yet distinct persons one God. God the? God the? And God the? That's right. Three distinct persons, yet equally God. So God the Father is no more God than God the Son. God the Holy Spirit is no less God than God the Son. And God the Son is not like the middle man. Three equally, equally holy, equally powerful, equally God. They are all Jehovah God, making up one God. You say, that blows my mind. I say, Welcome to the Trinity. It blows our mind. Like We can't fully understand it. It's fine that it blows your mind. It's supposed to blow your mind. Don't feel bad for it blowing your mind. Be very concerned if one day it doesn't blow your mind. You're like, I think I got the Trinity down. That's probably not true. So it does blow our minds because there's nothing else we can compare that to in our life. Right? Three equal equally distinct part of one it's just like it's just it's hard to understand but god is referring to himself as the godhead as the trinity when he looks back and he says let us verse 26 make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea all right another mind it's blown my mind here so god said let us make man in our image after our likeness and you said he says our because he's referring to the trinity but then It's, let us make man, and then he says, and let them have dominion. Who's them? Man? So let the mans, I mean the men? I just said mans, didn't I? I'm a pastor. I read the word of God. What does that mean? Is it just all the men? What do you think that means? Yes? Yeah. So... Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. So let us make man or mankind, right, in our image and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God says, let us make man in our image. Mankind kind of gives the title of all humans with this man title, okay, because man is ultimately responsible, but he's referring to male and Female, right? Now, here's my question. Who has dominion over all the livestock and all the creeping things? A, men. B, women. C, all of the above. How many say A? How many say B? How many say C? How many wait to see what most other people raise their hand for and then just follow along? Appreciate your honesty. It's both, right? Look, let them have dominion. Over the fish, right? Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So there's a certain level of responsibility that they have as mankind over all living things. So it seems to be that it's God, man, living things, right? God, man, living things. That that's how God created, okay? Now, if we skip ahead... Uh, Just look at verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay? So it seems right there that there's a ton of, do you see a ton of differences between men and women or a ton of equality? Equality? How are they equal? You're right, by the way. That's not a trick question. How can you look back? What is the things that they share? Beginning in verse 26, straight down through, uh, really through verse 30 and beyond. Um, they share what? Okay, they both have some sort of charge and care and dominion over the earth. What else? They share. They both share God's image. Okay? That's very, very important. Very, very important. Both male and female, men and women, created in the image of of God, Did you have something else, Phoebe, or is that what you are going to say? She stole it. Don't hate her. It's cool that she said it. Good. Thumbs up. Very good. Now, when we read in Genesis 2, we see kind of a further broken down illustration and explanation as to how God created men on day 6. How God created male and female on day 6. So if we look at Genesis 2, uh, we read this in verse 15, the Lord God took the man. Now, we're we're not talking about both of them because it's the man, right? So the man, we know his name was Adam. Okay, he took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the, who? The man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then in verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be what? It's not good that the man should be alone. Now, oftentimes, and then he says the solution to that is I will make him a helper fit for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Okay, The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds and to the heavens. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So he was looking. He said, that will be a horse. That will be a cow. That will be an orangutan. But none of those do I really want to cuddle or marry. So they're not a helper fit for me. That's great, but that's just, that's, a, that's an ape. And that's not what I want to, that's just not, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's just no, like, I yeah, like the ape, don't love the ape. I like the animals. I don't love the animals. There's not a helper fit for me. There's things, so here's what he's saying. There's not a helper fit for me. Now, some people look at that and they interpret it as saying that it is not good for man to be alone. Behold, I shall make a helper suitable for him. And then God knocked out Adam and made him a woman to be his subservient slave. But that's not what the text says. You know what God says? It's not good for man to be alone. He needs help. And if you giggle, you know that's true. It's not good for man to be alone. I could tell you stories upon stories upon stories of how it is not good for me to be without my wife or without other members really of the body of Christ, male and female, who can help and encourage and exhort and equip and, and, and help steer and pray and counsel. It's not good for man to be alone. You weren't created for solitude. Even if you're single for the rest of your life, you still were not created for solitude. Some people are given to singleness And that's fine. That's not a curse. That's a blessing. We read about that elsewhere in Scripture. But nobody's been created for solitude. There's a difference. Singleness, meaning I'm not married, versus solitude, meaning I'm going life alone. I handle life alone. I unplug from people because I'm alone. I'm flying solo. No one is created for solitude. We need more than just community. We need fellowship. We need one another. So it says, when it's not good for man to be alone, I will make a helper fit for him. Okay, a helper fit for him. This is Peter. Okay, this is Peter right here. Peter. Okay, what do you see? Massive, gaping, things that are just missing. Things that are incomplete. Peter, right? Sarah. Oh, (laughs) she completes me. That's a movie reference from before your time. Anyone? Christina? Good. Okay. Some of you did. You got it too? Okay. So when we talk about complementarianism, which you may hear Matt or Ryan or somebody say, okay, what is a math geniuses? What's a complementary angle? What's that? It makes a 90-degree angle. So if you have an angle that's 20 degrees, what's the complementary angle? 70 degrees. If you have an angle that's 45 degrees, what's the complementary angle? Right. And if you have a Peter who is alone, there's someone else who comes in to compliment him, and in my case it's it's my wife. You have a Tyler who's alone, and there's someone else who compliments him, and in that case that's that's Laura. You have a Brad that's alone, in that case it's Janelle. You have a Ryan that's alone, in that case it's Tabitha. You have a Bill who's alone, in that case it's Tammy. It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Like one that will fit just right. One that will make up for what he's lacking. Does that make sense? Does that sound like the helper is less of a person? I mean, just it's my illustration. You can, you can bash this all you want. Does that sound like the helper is less of a person? Like, do you see this hand is better than this hand for some reason because it's a ring? On, I don't know. Do you like? No. Because nowhere in the scriptures does it say, I will make someone who is less than him to serve him because he is mighty. God creates us differently, male and females differently. But they're different in function, not in value. Does that make sense? They differ in function, not in value in God's eyes. All the value statements are equal, right? He created male and female, gave them dominion over the, 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 the sea and the living things and the land. And said, you know, you need to be fruitful. You need to be multiplied. You need to rule the earth. You need to subdue it. But then also says that when you look at the details of it in Genesis chapter 2. That there was a helper created for Adam. Now, oftentimes, people will look at that and they will see, why do they, well, let me ask you. Why would they read that? They say, wow, the woman's called a helper. That means she is like less than, this is less. It's kind of like an L. Less, I just made that up. It's less than Adam. Why? Why when people read that, do they say, oh, 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 wow, really? Wow. So when God creates a woman, she calls her the helper? Why is it that? Why is it this? Why is it helper? Why is the head shake and the eyes get the helper? Really? Mm-mm. Why, why? Why is that? I just did that. Why is that back row? Oh, there we go. Okay, because in because what? The last part. Yeah, because in our day and age, in our culture, the helper sometimes is looked upon as the lesser. Okay, we have the big boss up top, and you have the helpers down there. You will help me. You will serve me. You will do this for me. And the helper is looked upon as someone who is less. But is that scripturally true? Is it? It's not. But we live, do we live before or after the fall? After. So if it's in our culture, can we automatically trust it and say that must be true? No, because we are after the fall. So we need to take what we see in our world back to the lens of Scripture and say, does that add up? Does that match up? And if you see the order that God created us to be in, we have God who created man, okay, mankind, but then in Genesis 2, we're told he created God, then man, then woman, and then told them to rule over all the fish, all the living creatures, every other thing in the world. At the fall, we have Satan, who shows himself to be what? A snake who's a living creature who talks to the woman who then gives the fruit to the man and they both rebel against God. So the fall took the order of creation and did what to it? Did what to it? Yeah. Order matters. Roles matter. Differences matter. And when they get out of whack... Really bad things can happen. And we always think it's just a little thing, right? I could rationalize my way into understanding the vast majority of what the world says is good and right. I could rationalize that. Meaning I could put this aside and say, okay, well, if this is true, then that is true. Like, who am I to decide who can get married? Peter, are you happily married to Sarah? Very. I married way out of my league. I'm so happy with Sarah. Well, that's great. How long have you been married? Married a little over 12 years. Wonderful. Wonderful. Can other people not have that happiness? No, I'd love for them to have that happiness. But the Bible defines marriage. Well, who are you to say, if you put the Bible aside, who are you, Peter, who are you to say that you can have happiness in that way, but these people can't have happiness in this way? So your male and female marriage, what if it's a male and male marriage? What if it's a female-female marriage? Who are you to define how people are supposed to receive pleasure and goodness and happiness in life? And you start saying, hmm... Yes. I don't know. That does kind of make me the boss of people. Maybe I shouldn't, and I'm not the... Did you ever say that to any of your siblings? You're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. It kind of makes me like I'm passing judgment on other people. I'm not the boss of them. Who am I to Who am I to say what's right and what's wrong? I'm happy. Why can't they be happy? And that's called rationalizing. And I've, you may have heard me say this before, that when we rationalize, we make rational Lies. So, when we rationalize, we keep reasoning in our head, we put the Bible aside, we just start saying, oh, this must be true, and this must be true, and this must be true, and eh, put the Bible aside. This must be true, this must be true, therefore, this must be good and right and godly. And it's like when we say, I know the Bible says this, but I know what I've been taught from Scripture, but it just seems so, and it's a slippery slope. When we take the Bible and we say, I know, like I've always been, I know what it says, but it's 2015. I know what it says, but it's, this is an area of my life that's really different. I know what it says, but it's... So let me ask you a question, a little sidestep. Is there an area in your life right now That you say or are tempted to say, I know God says this, but. What about you? Because there was a good portion of my teen years, and I really believe I loved the Lord. But I would struggle and I would wrestle back and forth with, am I going to follow God's word or am I going to follow what makes sense to me? Am I going to follow God's word or am I going to find my own rational lies? Because sometimes God's word becomes very inconvenient because it stands in the way of something I really, really want. But really, God knows what I need and God knows what is best. What about you? Is there an area in your life that you know what God's word says, but you're thinking, yeah, but this, this is a little different. Let me tell you how Eve did that before we move on. Look at Genesis 3. Uh, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was... Good for food, a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. So she looked at what was forbidden and she said, I mean, it can't be that bad. It, it could at least be good for what? Verse 6, good for food. I mean, it's really pretty to look at. I could get, I could, I could become wise Surely it's not, and she is what? Rationalizing because she's believing rational lies. That's what happens. You look at things that God says is evil, and you say it's really not that bad. You look at things that God says is good, and you say it's really not that awesome. It's just all right at best. And it's a real slippery slope. And that's what happens when it comes to gender roles and gender differences. We look back and God looked back on all that he created and he said it was what? Good. Technically he said it was what? Again? Very good. So he didn't look back and say, ah, I might have to undo that. Oh, I might have to click undo. That may not work out. He looked back on all that he created, male and female. He said, this is very good. This rocks. I love me. I love what I do. I create things that are good and right and glorifying to me. He didn't look back in any way and say, ah, I'm not sure if this is going to work out. But now, in our culture, we look at how God created people, and we say, "Ah." Who am I to say that just because you were born a a male, you should have to stay a male if you really want to be a female? Who am I to say that because you were given a God-given gender, God assigned that gender to you, he wanted to create Tammy a certain way, Peter a certain way, Caleb and Cole a certain way. Who are we to say that you have to, you have to stick that way? Well, when God created you, he saw that it was very. And when you look back at God and you say, I think I want to change that. It's looking back at God and saying, actually, I think the way you created me was actually very what? Bad. And if I create, recreate myself in this way, it could be very good. And it's a slippery slope. Because it just starts with looking at the temptation just like Eve did and say, you know what? There are some advantages if I do this. There are some things that I could maybe I could maybe have a different perspective. I can get what I want. Now, just in case I lose you because you're like, yeah, I'm not wrestling personally with becoming the opposite gender. So maybe other people are. Like I'm... This is not just talking about gender reassignment surgery. It's talking about an opportunity for us to look at how God has created us and how we can glorify him as a male or as a female. Does that make sense? God created us different in what? Different in function, but not different in value. Not different in value. Flip over to Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse uh, 27. Paul is writing to the church in Galatia. And he says, for as many, this is Galatians chapter 3, verse 27... For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, just before we move on, this is absolutely positively nothing to do necessarily with baptism itself. It's those of you who have immersed yourself into Christ. There's no context here to talk about baptism. But baptism, the Greek word that we get from baptism, means to Immerse. So as many of you have immersed your life into Christ, you've given your life to Christ, you've given your all to him, that's what he's saying. Verse 27, as many of you as were immersed into Christ, baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Jesus. So here Paul is saying, you know what? If you're in Christ, you're all together. We're all equal. Uh, there's not Jew or Greek. Does he? Yeah, but you're, you're, you're in Christ, but you're a Jew. Yeah, but you're in Christ, but you're a Greek. But he, he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Do you see that in verse 28? Neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no, what does that say? Male and female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Now, I just spent the first, like, I don't know how many minutes talking to you about how God has created us differently. Then Paul goes and says, ah, bah, if you're a Christian, bah, none of this stuff matters. Is that what Paul's saying here in Galatians chapter 3? Okay, what do you think he's saying? Take a look at the text and tell me what you think he is saying based on the text of Scripture. Keegan. Yeah. Those differences, very good. He said, those differences don't affect your salvation or your standing with Christ. So this is proving to you that we are different in function, not different in value. That God didn't send his son just to die for one gender or a better gender. That we are equal in Christ. We have not been separated according to our race, according to whether we're a slave or whether we're free, or whether we're male or female. God sent his son on behalf of sinners, on behalf of sinners, male sinners, female sinners, old sinners, young sinners, fat sinners, skinny sinners, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it doesn't, race, gender, socioeconomic status. God sent his son to die for sinners, male and female. So God created us different in function, but not different in what? Not different in value. He created us different, but that difference is only in function. It's in the roles that we have. And if you look, we don't have time to look at it, but I trust that other people will as you go through the series. But you can look that even though God gave both male and female the same responsibility as far as ruling over the earth, he gives the instructions to the dude. There's an, and there's an ax over my head as a dude. There's, a, there's a, a weight of responsibility that I have as I lead in the different roles in which I lead. So even though there's similar functions... There's still a different weight of responsibility that God puts on a guy that he has to bear, that he has to carry out. How does that make you feel? That's something that's worth thinking about. How does it make you feel? When I say that, and I say that there's a weight of responsibility, there's a weight of leadership that comes with being a male. Uh, There is a benevolent responsibility. I think that's how Piper puts it. A benevolent sense of responsibility that comes with being uh, a girl to come alongside, to help, to nurture, to serve. How does that make you feel? Because you might be tempted, guys, to say, what does this face say? I don't know if I'm making it right. Tell me what this face says. It's nodding duck face. What does it say? Help me. What's that? That's right. I'm at the top. I'm in charge. Uh, That I have this. Were you going to say something different? That I'm the boss, right? I'm in charge. I'm the boss. I'm number one. We're not. We're not. Jesus... How many of you say Jesus was a a pretty big help to us? Raise your hand if you think Jesus was a pretty big help to us. Right? Okay. How many of you say Jesus is also very much in charge? Right? See, what Christianity does is it takes the whole leadership, servant structure of the world and turns it on its head. Because in the world, you have... You have the head honcho who's at the top, right? Okay, he is number one, numero uno, whatever that is. A boss, the head of state, whatever. And then you have all the people under him, right? But Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, right? And give his life a ransom for many, Mark ten forty-five. So he goes like this. He's, he's the head, right? So now it's the upside down triangle where he's the head, but he's on the bottom and he puts everyone who's under him on top and he bears their weight and he takes them. He takes on their sin. He takes on the responsibility of their sin and takes it all the way to the cross. And gentlemen, this. Doesn't find its place in scripture. That attitude about what it means to be a leader doesn't find its place in scripture that's a result of the fall. That's a result of me forgetting there's a God and me thinking I'm on top. Yeah, that's right. And that's where we get the nodding duck face. Well, that's where we get the attitude behind the nodding duck face. I'm the boss. I'm on top. I'm number one. I want you to look at First Corinthians 11. And this is where I want to kind of close First Corinthians, Chapter Eleven. I'm trying. First Corinthians, Chapter Eleven. Now, we're going to look at um, some verses between verse two and like 14 or 15, maybe up to 16. Okay, but we're not going to look at the entire thing. The context of this is Paul writing to the Church of Corinth about head coverings, which I'd be happy to discuss at another time. It just has nothing to do with what we're talking about right now directly. But really what this is talking about, this chapter, is about gender roles and the issues of authority and submission and how a man were to act and how a woman were to act and what she's supposed to display and what the man is supposed to display. But I want you to look at this. I want you to look at verse uh, 3. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Okay? So picture that. Even write it out if you have to. Okay? Because we have the head of... So you have man. The head of Christ, uh, the head of man is Christ. So Christ would go above or below if we were drawing this. Here's man. Where does Christ go? Above or below? Right? Above. Okay? So... Here's Christ, here's man. The head of every woman is man, okay? And the head of Christ is what? Is what? God. So God would go up here. So insert God up here. God, Christ, man, woman. God, Christ, man, woman. That doesn't mean Jesus isn't God. It's assuming God the Father, God the Son, man, woman. Now, is God the Son less God than God the Father? They are what? They are equal, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Then why would we look at man being above woman and say, because you say man is above woman, you're saying woman is less than man. Do you see the inconsistency? Do, do you, raise your hand if you're confused. Okay, let me try this again. It's fine. I really want you to get this, though. If we see that the head of Christ is God and we say they are equal, right? There's just an, it's just an order right? Christ came to the earth in submission to the father. So it's just, it's just an order. He's not less. God, the son is not less than God, the father. Are you with me? Do you see that? Okay. So then we come over here and we say, and the head of woman is man. If Christ is not less than God, just because he has a head, isn't it inconsistent to then say women are less than men just because they have a, a head? Does that make sense? Do you understand? Do you see why that's inconsistent? Because if you look at the inconsistencies that abound throughout this whole topic, you'll see that they're not consistent with the text of Scripture. So in verse 3 where it says, I want you to understand the head of every man is Christ and the head of, and the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God, that's showing you an order, but it's not talking about a difference in value. It's just a difference in function. Some are the head and some aren't. Is Christ the head or not? Look at the text. Is Christ the head or not? It's a trick question. It's a trick question. It's a trick question. Is he the head or not? What's that? Yes and no. What do you mean by yes and no? He's the what? He's the head of man, but he's still under his father, right? He's the head of the church, yet still submits to his dad. So let me ask you this. Who's called to be like Christ, the male or the female? How many of you say it's the men that are called to be like Christ? How many of you say it's both that are called to be like Christ? How many of you say that it's the women that are called to be like Christ? Very good. Say I put the right answer second this time so you wouldn't just wait till the end. It's not my first rodeo. Do you see that? You have examples in Scripture of Jesus Christ being the head, being the leader, the servant leader who took that pyramid and instead of putting himself on the top, put it under the bottom and said, I will take, I will be, this is the kind of head that I'm going to be. This is the kind of leader that I'm going to be. I'm going to bear the weight of the sin of the world and take it right up to Calvary. Men, we have a great example of what it means to be a head, a servant leader in Jesus Christ. Ladies, do you know who your model is for being the helpmate that God has created you to be? Who is it? Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was a helper and Jesus was a head. Jesus isn't calling any one of you to be anything that he was not. Do you understand that? He's not calling you to be anything. He's like, well, I want the guys to be like me and I want the ladies to be like me. Godly people. Jesus is the model and the example for all of us, male or female. That's who we're called to be like. So I hope what you've seen, this has been kind of a confusing introduction, but hopefully you see that we are created different in function, but not in value. Okay? Different in function, but not in value. And that we are all called to be like Christ. There's probably more we have in common than we have different when it comes to our walks with the Lord. But it's my hope and my prayer that as uh, you go through the rest of this series and as you look at the rest of these texts of Scripture, um, you'll see that the way God has created us is good because he's done it and he's looked back upon it and said it's very, very good. And if he wanted it to be a different way, he would have done it differently. But we are always best when we take God at his word do what it says, put the lies aside that say, I know God's word says this, but, and then fill in the blank and lead a life that is pleasing and honoring to God. So there's some discussion questions that um, I think you journal about. Is that what you guys do typically? So I'm gonna close in prayer, have you journal, and then send you to your discipleship groups. Does that sound good? Lord, I thank you for your word and the opportunity that I've had to stand before. Uh, these students. Lord, I want to pray for each and every one of them. And uh, this is the beauty of who you are and your omniscience, that you know each and every one by name. You know each and every one as far as uh, how close they are to you, how far they are from you. Um, Lord, you know who knows you in a saving way, who doesn't. Lord, you know who is wrestling with things uh, in their life and choosing to put the word aside and rationalize. And this is the thing that gives me comfort as a preacher, that I can stop preaching and that you can drive it home. That I can stop preaching and you can speak to individuals. And, Lord, I pray that as you um, continue to work in their hearts, that you would draw many unto yourself, that you would glorify yourself with this group of students. Lord, that you would open their eyes to truth, their hearts to truth, and you'd give, you would raise up within them a real desire to please you, to honor you, and to glorify you as the men and women that you've created them to be. Be with them, Lord, as they consider these questions and discuss these in their discipleship groups. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.